Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Each month, I like to pick a theme for our podcast. And this month, we will be talking about a subject that is called re-entry. Um, we have two guests to tell us about it. We've already spoken to one of them, and we're going to continue to do that um, today to talk more with Barbara. Richards of Project 180. Please do um, listen to our our podcast uh, from last week, where uh, Barbara kind of lays the groundwork for an organization that she started um, a number of years ago. Um, Barbara is the founder, the CEO, and president of this nonprofit organization, which is based in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, she's going to tell us a little bit more about her program and continue to add some information from last week. So, Barbara, welcome back to Pursuing Justice. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on your show. Okay. And uh, a little disclaimer, Barbara is a very close and dear friend. Uh, I did some volunteer work with uh, Project 180 for a while, and so I have some idea of... Uh, how it works. Um, I, I do recall going with you to Hardy Prison to hear a lecture by a man who was a bank manager. Is that right? Is that what his his uh, role was? Yes, he, he bank is, was and is a bank manager. Oh, all right. And he was teaching the men about finances. Now, why, why did you uh, initiate a program like that? Why is that so important? Well, our, our very first program was actually our CEO workforce education program. And so once you have a job and you start making money, you actually need to know how to handle it. So the we found through this course that um, the majority of our students made less than $36,000 a year prior to incarceration. And in fact, um, more than a third of them made uh, less than $12,000 a year. And only about 4% of our students had ever had any type of financial education. So we felt it was important to uh, come in and um, dispel myths, um, give people some tools to put in their toolkit for when they do start working again and um, ways that they can, can actually get ahead and start saving money instead of living from paycheck to paycheck. I would think that managing finances is a huge challenge for someone who earns so little in prison. Um, yeah, must be must be a big a big uh, problem. So yeah, I, I do remember sitting in that lecture. Um, and how how long um, how many classes did uh, uh, the bank manager teach at that particular prison? Um, at that time, when you went, we had four classes, which were two hours each. We now have 16 uh, classes, or excuse me, is that right? No, we now have eight classes uh, for a total of 16 hours. Mm, terrific. Did, did you get feedback? Did the men feel those lectures were helpful to them? Oh, incredibly helpful, and especially in the prison where... You know, there are people who don't know how to use a cell phone, an ATM. They don't know what a pay card is or even a bank card or a debit card. Um, you know, it's very, very important. So, um, or a checkbook. We're, we're, 
or balance a checkbook, although nobody <laughs> uses a checkbook anymore. So. Oh, okay. I do. <laughs> I do too, but okay. the majority of uh, people do not. And um, we now are uh, revamping our program a little bit this year where we are including uh, the Capital Good Fund, which will help individuals build their credit. And um, tax, we have three tax attorneys who have come into our residential program and done an evening of um, you know, just information on how to file, when to file, what to file, and have stayed on call for our residents. Not many people, including myself, can say they have three tax attorneys at their mm -hmm. beck and call, but our guys do. And they're going to be doing a um, some some uh, work with us through our financial literacy course, uh, teaching about taxes. Right. Now, last time we talked about the residential program, but just in case uh, people possibly didn't tune in, um, if you can just give us a quick overview of your residential program. Sure. Um, very quickly, it's an extremely comprehensive program where uh, for men, we have two homes with six um, beds each, and um, the men uh, must agree to stay for a minimum of six months and a day. Um, they can uh, stay up to two years. They, they graduate when they have paid all of their program fees, um, have a reliable mode of transportation, a safe place to live. Um, we help them get furniture, uh, housewares, that kind of thing when they're ready to move out. They have to have a full-time job and to have some savings in the bank so that um, they're going to be, you know, safe out there. Uh, and we're in touch with all of our graduates, and um, th these are men who are doing very, very well. Mm. Now, we we didn't talk about this last time, um, and I have a question about how long um, – they're allowed to stay. Can they stay past that six months and a day if they need to? Sure, they can stay up to two years. And if uh, someone is in, uh, let's say someone is in a training program, uh, which we're trying to get set up, um, then or training program, which we're trying to get set up for the residents to have a scholarship uh, so that their program fees are paid and they can go to school full-time and become an electrician or a plumber or a welder or, you know, some kind of vocational training, then um, they can stay as long as they need to in order to complete that. Um, the program is how old now, Project 180, the residential program? How old? Project 180 incorporated in 2008, and in May 2018, we opened our first mm. residential home long stretch in between 18 all right so how many graduates who have stayed in in your home the homes there's two now correct two residential two homes, yes two mm -hmm. homes. so um how many have of men have left and um you know gone on to live on their own oh um I couldn't tell you right off oh, the okay. top of my head, but um, quite a few. <laughs> oh, and quite a few. Some people, yes, leave, and um, they might leave in order to use 
or they might leave because they have used uh, drugs or alcohol in the program and we have asked them to leave. Oh. But um, all but a very few have, re, you know, re, um, how can I say, recuperated and um, gotten clean again. And we're, we're all still in touch. When we, we recently had a grant to um, improve the, uh, the energy uh, use and the uh, water use at our home, our first home, which we bought through a grant from the Baransic Foundation. And um, so we relied on a lot of the guys who had been in the program to do the work, hmm. which was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that is wonderful. Um, all right. So anything else that you would like to add about the um, the residential uh, program? Anything that maybe you haven't touched upon? Uh, um, no, I think that we've pretty much covered it. It's unique. Um, it's special in that it's so comprehensive and in-depth. And um, as I mentioned last, uh, last time, it's just a wonderful family. Now, do you know if there are other programs very much like Project 180 that exists in the United States? Uh, nothing that I know of that is as comprehensive as ours, no. So anything similar to yours, maybe not as comprehensive, where, uh, you know, people coming out of prison are um, invited, so to speak, to uh, to live, uh, you know, at a, a home? Oh, there are lots and lots of places. Um, we, we try to distinguish our residential program from transitional homes, halfway houses, um, shelters, and that sort of thing. Um, I'm sure there are other programs out there that are doing wonderful, wonderful work. I know there are. Mm -hmm. And uh, but nothing that's quite like ours, I would say. Okay. Now, do you do you have volunteers that come in and and help um, run this this program, uh, or is it something that basically the responsibility for the way things go are on the men's shoulders? Primarily, uh, it is on the shoulders of the residents to do the right thing, to do their chores, to live in harmony. Uh, we've never had a violent incident at either of the mm. homes, nothing like that. And yet, you know, some of our guys have been, um, you know, they have violent um, things on their records. Um, but um, right now, actually, as a matter of fact, uh, it's time for our uh, residential program house meeting that we hold uh, once a week. And one of our board members, a former major at the uh, Sarasota County Jail, went out and picked up one of our residents on the other side of town and brought him home so he could be there in time for the meeting. So we have some people who are just, I mean, I can tell you fabulous stories about each of our board members and many people like you, Harriet, who have volunteered through the years. Um, so we do have a lot of volunteers who are involved. Well, that's great. Now, um, last time I said to you, I'd like you to tell us uh, success stories, which is always always nice um, to emphasize the positive. Um, can you tell us some um, stories of men who have left the program and are 
very successful now? Sure. Uh, we have one gentleman who um, went back to school while he was in the program and um, was able to successfully complete the schooling, became an electrician, and is working for uh, a great company in the community. Um, he also is an individual who sponsors others um, in NA. And um, I think that that is the way many of our residents choose to give back uh, was something that was difficult for me to understand as a non-addict that, um, you know, giving back to someone who is in the same position you were in, let's say, a year ago is really profound for both the giver and the recipient. So uh, that's, that's one of our great guys. He helped us um, do some electrical work at our home, and I've had him work on things in my home. <laughs> so mm. he's, just doing, he's just doing really well. I'm so proud of him. That's great. What about some other success stories? Another question I forgot to ask you is, what are the ages of the men in the houses? I think the youngest we've ever had is 24, and the oldest, I believe, is 58, I think was the oldest gentleman. Um, so uh, we have a pretty broad range, and um, people come in at different stages in their recovery process, um, but I do have to say that the Older guys who have been at it for longer um, really have a lot of wisdom to share with others, um, with the younger men in particular. And I will say, too, that one of the most heartwarming and rewarding things to see is when one of the residents um, is able to reconcile with his family. Um, that is just a, a wonderful thing because most people you know, the first kind of victims of a, an addict's um, criminal behavior is usually the family. And so uh, it's really wonderful to see those relationships restored and for people to go back to their families and um, be welcomed in again. You know, usually there's a lot to prove first, but um, it's, it's a pretty amazing thing to observe. Now, that that kind of leads into a question about family. Why didn't these men go home to their family instead of coming to Project 180? The families either don't understand addiction or there might be addiction issues in the home as well. And neither uh, scenario is good for the individual who is is usually pretty fresh in his recovery and um, trying to turn his life around. Um, so it's extremely helpful if the individual can live with a group of, of others who are all headed toward the same goal, which is to stay in active recovery and to help others get into active recovery and stay in it and to live a law-abiding life. Mm. That's great. Now, um, you initiated a lecture series um, 
is it Strong Voices? Isn't that the title of the series? Yes, Strong Voices, Strong Subjects, yes. Yeah, Strong I knew there was another part to it, Strong Subjects. <laughs> okay. Um, what was your purpose in starting a unique series like that? And tell us um, some of the themes that you highlighted in that um, series maybe some of your guest speakers that uh, that came to, to talk. Okay. The um, lecture series uh, was something that we began in 2014 after doing a media audit, a nationwide media audit on who was talking about prisoner reentry. And for the year of 2013, we only found two articles nationwide on prisoner reentry. So we decided to take the conversation into the community. Outside. I mean, you would hear about it in the halls of criminal justice, and you would hear about it in uh, scholarly circles, but you would never hear about it out in the community. So that's why we started it was to educate the community, because you can one can educate individuals who are incarcerated, you know, until the cows come home. But if those individuals return to an unwelcoming community, that, only half of the problem is solved. So we also need to educate um, community members about um, the issues that individuals face when they reenter and also the effect on the community of unsuccessful or successful reentry because these men and women have so much to offer. Our communities can improve if we give them a hand, like one of the things I try to say is when we help them, we help ourselves. Uh, this is a matter of someone who is released from prison. They are now a community member, no longer someone who has been um, basically uh, taken away from the community. So um, it's helpful if we can work together to build a more cohesive uh, community a better functioning one. So some of the uh, things that we have covered in our lecture series um, are, um, are barriers to successful reentry, um, the impact of disadvantage on incarceration and reentry, for example, poverty, um, that's a, a huge disadvantage and one that lends itself to incarceration. Um, Let's see, most recently we talked about uh, this past year celebrating Second Chance Employers. One of our uh, keynote speakers was Dave Dahl, the creator and former owner of Dave's Killer Bread out of Oregon. This year we will be talking about um, the uh, intersection of trauma, addiction, and incarceration and our keynote speaker uh, lined up for this year is Dr. Hank Brightman of the U.S. Naval War College who is a specialist both in criminology and in trauma. So we're very very excited to have him as our speaker and um, we've had other international and nationally known speakers um, throughout the years. We're entering our eighth season so there have been mm. quite a few different topics over the years. And is this series uh, done elsewhere, duplicated, or? 
No, uh, we we started the series, and to our knowledge, it's the nation's only ongoing uh, lecture series on prisoner reentry in the nation. That's terrific. Now, if somebody wanted to uh, hear any of these speakers, how would they do that? Uh, we um, they can go to our website, which is project180reentry.org, <clears throat> and we have a tab on the lecture series, so individuals can see um, all of the all of the topics that we've covered through the years and find out how to obtain tickets for this year. That's great. All right. So you mentioned um, first week out. What what is that? Well, it's a pilot program. And one of our volunteers uh, came up with the name and an idea to uh, take recently released uh, individuals out to dinner. And I said, well, if we do that, we're going to be missing a whole range of things that they need probably before being taken out to dinner. <laughs> and so um, I, we partnered with the uh, Department of Corrections Probation Office for uh, Sarasota County. And uh, they send us lists of individuals who are going to be released, and we break those into months. We contact them about six to eight weeks prior to their release, find out what their needs are, everything from whether they need housing, a cell phone, clothing, shoes, work clothes, uh, everything, <laughs> anything that we can think of. And they send that little survey back to us, and then we begin uh, setting up um, someone to meet them when they arrive on the bus, a place for them to live, a scholarship for their first two weeks of um, their residency in one of the local programs that we, that we like. And uh, we get them food, clothing, whatever they need, That's and uh, help them get off to a good start. And some of the guys we bring into our own program. That's great. Where do you see we're, we're almost out of time? And I wanted to ask you, what's your long vision? Where do you see Project 180 in the next few years? What are your hopes and dreams for the project? My most basic hope and dream is that Project 180 will become a model for other reentry programs throughout the United States. We really have taken it to the next level. The men in our program say that um, what's common is that they are brought into a program, shown a room, somebody says good luck, and that's about it. Um, our focus our residential program is to take away the small barriers, even like a trip to the grocery store could be monumental for someone who has no money, no transportation, no time, and um, you know, no no concept of how best to spend their money in a grocery store. Um, so we try to take away those small barriers. So I hope that we can become a, a model for others. Uh, we would like to purchase our second home, which we currently rent. Uh, the landlord has indicated that they would be happy to do that for us and has given us a, a, great, a great cost um, for the home. Um, we'd like to start a store on our website uh, specifically aimed at individuals in recovery. 
So uh, you can, your listeners can watch for that at project180reentry.org. And eventually, within the next three years, um, I think that it would be good for us to start our own credit union so that mm. we can assist individuals in um, building their credit and, um, you know, getting small loans through through us to, let's say, um, purchase their first their first car when they get out. Sounds good to me. This is really wonderful. Well, Barbara, you really um, helped us understand the the wider view of reentry uh, by sharing your experience with a project that you deeply love and started uh, several years back. Um, we wish you well and thank you so much for uh, joining us today and giving us your your precious time to tell us about Project 180. Harriet, thank you so very, very much for all you do and for having me on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on Pursuing Justice, where we will talk more about reentry with um, a man named John Eldon, who started after Innocence. So join us next time on Pursuing Justice. And thanks for listening. Optimum Business Your Way gives you 300 meg speed secure internet with the option to add any combination of services like smart Wi-Fi, mobile, and premier technical support. It's internet with built-in security for just $39.95 a month for one year when bundled with voice. And get up to a $100 Visa prepaid card when you upgrade. Save with Optimum Business Your Way. Call 866-218-3645 or visit Optimum.com slash business today. Offer for new business customers only. Advertised price reflects $5 auto pay discount. Taxes, fees, equipment charges, and restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Visit website for details.